Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Glacier Fishing Company is now hiring processing crew to work on board our commercial fishing vessel, the Northern Glacier, in the Bering Sea of Alaska. This is an opportunity to join a great company and experience the adventure of life at sea. Glacier is offering a $1,500 sign-on bonus to Northern Glacier new hires that complete a full contract. To apply, visit our website at www.glacierfish.com. Hello, my name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 40 of the No Encore Music Podcast. It is the end of the year. It is the last show of the year and the last show in the show's run. We are wrapping it up. This is how we conclude the podcast, guys. I just announced it right there. How do you feel? Uh, happy Christmas, I guess. It's a bit of a bombshell. I'm kidding. Hey! <laughs> we'll Cla- be, we'll classic <laughs> Hantum right there. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Craig Fitzpatrick. Hey, how are you? You good? Colin Regan. How's it going? Uh, we will be back in January. We're going to take a quick break, though. Uh, this episode will be the last of the year. We'll be back in January the 9th, I think. And we'll have lots to talk about. Un- unless something major happens. Like, we'll be calling an emergency podcast if someone drops an album that's really spectacular. Are you all going to have to travel Cork yeah. to record with me? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it'd be like an on-location, on-the-train type thing. Um, I'd love to do that. That'd be great. It would show our dedication. Let's not do it. Um, anyway. Yeah, uh, let's get going. Because last week... Uh, if you haven't heard the episode yet, we did our top 20 songs of 2016 as decided by the three of us in a collective act of democracy and diplomacy. And before we spoil what was number one, like I say, I want to give you the chance to go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. It was really, really good. People uh, seemed to like it a lot. There weren't any major disagreements, but some people did disagree here and there. And that's fine. That's all right. If you want to disagree with us further, hit us up on Twitter at No Encore Show or find us individually. I'm sure you have the power to do that. And before we get going with the albums, it should be said that our first album in this countdown is actually the same artist who topped the songs of 2016 last week. So once again, fair warning, if you don't want that spoiled for you, go now, listen to that episode, and then come back to this. 
Guys, before we get going, do you have any honorable mentions and, and anything you, you want to mention and you want to say? <laughs> oh, there, there, there was a ton of albums that haven't made the cut, to be perfectly honest. Oh, you mean honorable mentions as in records as opposed to just thanking our families for, you know, Jesus and. Do what you want. Okay. Um, I would like to thank my family <laughs> for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless. Yeah, so any, uh, uh, this was very, very... This was arguably as tough, if not tougher, than the songs. Oh, I think tougher, to be very Oh, yeah, honest. like, there should be lots of honourable mentions. Um, should we just start r- rattling off people? Yeah, okay. I mean, like, Week of Corners, Windings, Wallace Bird, Lisa Hannigan. A lot of good Irish stuff. Yeah, well, and that's just at home. Uh, you go across the water and things like Skepta, um, Kano. Q for me. I mean, amazing year for rap. Yeah, um, Blood Orange hasn't made the cut. That's an outstanding record. Um, we're kind of giving away what is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Are we ruining the suspense by just naming stuff that well, isn't let's on the list? Into yeah, it. let's, let's go. kick off the list. Twenty. Yeah, as Dave mentioned, uh, the single, the lead single from this album, topped our songs countdown last time. That's Dave's preferred cut from the record, Touch It. It's Ariana Grande and Dangerous Woman. Um, We discussed when we talked about this album earlier this year, if Ariana Grande had a signature sound, if she had anything like a trademark or or a major stamp to leave on pop music uh, prior to this. There's little debate about that now. Yeah, very much so. Um, as a record that's primarily just kind of pop bangers, it holds together remarkably well. As you say, it doesn't feel like, you know, she's working with the likes of Max Martin and other producers that are doing a lot of big hits at the moment, but you never kind of feel like she's leaning on other people's style. Um, and of course, that voice is so distinctive. I mean, she's probably that kind of diva voice of the moment, um, but much more likable without that kind of Mariah Carey baggage or whatever. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I listened back to the episode in which we reviewed this with Kieran McGuinness of Delorento's fame. And Six out of ten, Kieran McGuinness. <laughs> three out of five. <laughs> three out of three five. five, Kieran McGuinness. Uh, and yeah, it, it's. I was wondering if you guys would kind of still have the same opinion. And Craig, you know, you kind of let off your review by saying it's just banger after banger, and it absolutely is. I like that she kind of you know saunters about with different styles here and there. I love the opening track, Moonlight, and I think the title track is excellent as well. Mm. Touch It and Into You are the two kind of most premier bangers, I suppose, on this one. It definitely holds up, and it's. It's kind of one of those situations where, like a lot of records this year, I think something that we'll probably have to discuss, even if the list is and isn't reflective of this, a lot of albums suffered from bloat in 2016. Some, As did I. Sorry, continue. <laughs> some more. You're carrying some, carry, carrying some holiday weight. <laughs> uh, you look great, though. Thanks, man. The Kefir sorted him right out. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you, still, you still rocking that? No. I mean, when it made me deathly ill, <laughs> this health strip I was on, I kind of moved back to my usual. It's amazing what happens when you leave out milk for a couple of days and then drink it, and it somehow doesn't make your body feel good. But nonetheless, I, might, I may return. Ariana Grande and Dangerous Woman. Uh, I think it's a terrific record. It's too long, as so many albums were this year. And I think, you know, even with The Weeknd's Starboy, we saw that every track from that record charted in the Billboard chart, every single, all 18 of them, mm-hmm. which obviously speaks to the way things have gone and the way music is consumed now and the way it's even kind of propped up and registered in terms of charts and in terms of overall success. 
and I'm not saying that this is ne- this is necessarily a cynical album from Ariana Grande. I don't think it is. I think uh, as an artist, it's anything but. But at the same time, I would have liked if it was a little bit trimmer. And I think a song like Touch It, which appears quite towards the end, almost comes across like a bonus track when it should have been kind of more front-loaded in that regard. At the same time, I think it's a terrific effort. I think it's a great album. And I think she's excellent. Yeah, I mean, definitely in terms of we talk about her maybe kind of making her mark and having her own sound now, but maybe she's still trying to find her voice lyrically. And if you talk about it maybe being occasionally slightly cynical, I mean, it is, you know, Dangerous Woman. There is that kind of trope of now she's all grown up, it's definitely which doesn't repe- really work. It's definitely yeah. repetitive. In the yeah. dang- it's like, we get it, you're fucking dangerous. And she like, can't no really sell that song. because she's not a very dangerous woman. That was a, like, yeah. something that uh, Kieran McGinnis actually made the point of. He was like, she's not really that dangerous. He's like, I kind of feel like, you know, like she'd be, you know, cute and fun to hang out with yeah, and it's, not so much uh, a ball buster. It's still a step in the right direction, I think. And uh, yeah, like you say, enough just absolute pop bangers on there uh, to kind of get it through any thematic issues that it may have. 19. Life is like an appetite, a truth and dare, I double dare your life to end in vain before the end is near, see I can hear you crying silent, sitting in the dark, holding crosses cross your heart, sin is such a work of art, watch out for the love lost. Bet a thousand, shoot a thousand, things a nigga do for thousands, made a million county sheep, gave a daughter public housing, taking off the Abu Dhabi, beaming up the motor Scotty, talking to promoter Scotty, everybody knows Scotty. Yeah, it's a song that probably could have challenged uh, the chart last week, uh, Really Doe, with a lot of help. Uh, it's Danny Brown, his album Atrocity Exhibition. This was, I suppose, predictably enough, a bit of a roller coaster, isn't it? I slept on this album for much too long. I have to apologise to everybody who was telling me to get on it. For whatever reason, when it came out, I just wasn't in the right headspace. And also apologise to everyone that was involved in the production of the actual record and Danny Brown himself. I have sent them all individual letters. Thank you. You want you want you you, you want to do this, Fitzpatrick? <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Let's talk um, about the music, man. I did find it quite heavy going when I first tried to get into it, and I think it's not an album to listen to if you're doing some work, for starters. <laughs> like, because Danny Brown is a maelstrom, and yeah. I mean, like for starters, you got that voice, which is like unlike any other out there, really. And I can totally understand why somebody would take one listen to it and be like, no, not for me. Uh, I find it quite intoxicating. And there's so much going on in this record, and I'm glad that I finally... And it was pretty much this list, it was kind of it popping up on the list, like the kind of, at least putting it in contention for the list, that made me kind of sit down and go, okay, I really have to dedicate some time to this. And it is rewarding. It is challenging, and I love a good challenging listen. you got to be in the right headspace for it, but there's an awful lot going on here. And I'm particularly impressed by a lot of the production aspects of it. A lot of times it sounds like a horror film. And yeah. he manages to kind of, you know, circumnavigate this quite well, as you say, Colin, with some help. I mean, it's one of Kendrick's better features when he pops up, along with some others. And from start to finish, it is the proverbial roller coaster, and it somehow makes sense in its own kind of weird way. I feel as though, yeah, as you say, yeah, one of Kendrick's best features uh, in a long time. I feel that's because Danny Brown just kind of drags them into deeper waters, so to speak. He is a genuine trailblazer, and yeah, he's doing things that are always that bit different. It occasionally whiffs, to be fair, but, you know, most of the time he's really on form. And indeed, even when he goes into the, you know, perhaps slightly more radio-friendly territory, he's just as comfortable creating things that are really a little more obscure, a little bit more opaque, I suppose, and and challenging, but uh, ultimately just awesome. Yeah, I mean, if we look at, you know, some of the features on Ariana Grande's record and how superfluous they felt... With this, it's very clearly part of Danny Brown's master plan. He gets 
some of the biggest voices on on there and if not one up some definitely kind of rub shoulders with them perfectly um he's just so imperious on this record it's called atrocity exhibition that doesn't feel like a kind of ironic like hipster nod it feels like oh this is what it sounds like yeah absolutely um and it's very much him just a full tilt full pelt for the entire thing i mean that voice you talk about dave and that approach he keeps it up for nearly the entire record which might be grating to some and maybe there's moments where okay he could have stepped back a little and just leaned back on it um but it's such a powerful record i mean ain't it funny that production alone sounds like i think i saw someone describe it as if you took pcp and were shoved in a room full of clowns <laughs> that sounds <laughs> absolutely terrifying yes uh, and there's quite a lot of that but amazing production apparently it cost them something like 70 grand just to clear the samples alone that are on it um it's interesting just picking parts of it he's such an interesting dude in terms of the eclectic stuff he loves from post-punk to just kind of stuff like arthur lee's love um so you're always going to get a really interesting collision but but again, Danny Brown kind of reigns supreme over it all. It never feels like it's getting away from him. Um, and he's a really joyful guy, even though lots of this sounds like a horror show. Like he's really in the depths of stuff you probably wouldn't want to experience yourself. But somehow he just rides through it like with a plum. There's also reference to former WWE grappler Ryback, where the genius entry notes that he's no stranger to a body slam. So that's very, very good. Now, if that was enough of a head spin for you, how about this? 18. It's my boys, the Dillinger Escape Plan. Hey, Cullum's in studio. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, lads. Uh, Cullum's favourite band. Uh, Craig, we reviewed this album on an episode that you went on, but you remotely gave it 7 out of 10. Yeah, I did remotely give it 7 <laughs> out of 10. Um, yeah, and I felt I had to get my... No, you just you just said, come on, you have to send your review and do your homework. Um, and I had listened to it for a good week, so I felt like I should have contributed somewhat. But yeah, 7 out of 10. And that sounds like a really kind of meh, you know, review, possibly. But it wasn't that at all. I mean, this isn't really my bag. But there was elements I loved, uh, elements I thought I'm not really getting my head around. I know they've taken a lot of influence from kind of jazz acts and things like that. And it just felt like a genre I couldn't quite put in context, um, but very inventive and parts of it were thrilling. In a world of no sevens, as Josh Hughes has uh, told us on the show before, this is an eight for me. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Dillinger's Cape Plan. This is Dissociation. This is their final record. They are calling it a day after their current tour. I'd like to think that we'll see them again sometime, but I, I spoke to Greg and I spoke to Ben from the band when they were kind of wrapping this up and promoting this record. They sound in very, very good health. Uh, Greg in particular is in excellent health in terms of music. He has a project called The Black Queen, which released an album this year called Fever Daydream, which I would highly recommend anybody to check out if you like his singing. If you don't like his screaming so much, this is definitely the band for you to give a go to, a very kind of 80s tinge knowing band. As for Dillinger and their final bow, it comprises all of the elements of a band that have absolutely you know given me so much joy over the years, and they really are bowing out at the top of their game, if indeed they are bowing out for good. 
it's an absolute pleasure to hear them work the way they do. I quite love on this album how they flex some new muscles. They bring in some strings. They bring in some kind of choirs. Uh, the song Nothing to Forget and even the title track itself speak to a real kind of sense of maturity for a band that always were operating with, with maturity even when they seem to be a bit crass. Uh, this is a band that I love. I find them hard to put into words. I'm so, so glad that we got what we got from them. It's been an amazing 20 years or thereabouts from them. And I'm delighted that Dissociation makes this list. How do you feel, Colin? I mean... There's no point in lying, it wasn't my bag. When I reviewed it a couple of months ago, it's still not my bag now. At the same time, I'm not so self-centred that I can't listen to what you've said and other fans have said. And especially, what, 20, 25 years after they started, um, like you say, there's some things that they've maintained throughout that time. There's new strings to their bow on occasion, strings included. Um, But basically... You know, a couple of albums this year, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers being the one that particularly stands out in my mind, we sat here and said, why are they making this record? I didn't is say that. Is this all they have left at this point in their career? What's what's the point of this anymore? And keep on rocking, guys. I'm sorry. Flea, keep on rocking. <laughs> but that clearly doesn't seem to be the issue for Dillinger. There's, you know, they they plenty left to give on this record. And indeed, as you say, yeah, could easily have plenty more, whether it's in, in, in other guises or as part of this band. A band at the other end of their career, really, a second record is next. 17. Yeah, one of the more pleasant surprises of the year, Glass Animals and How to Be a Human Being. That track is Youth. It's a fun cut from the album that is really an enjoyable listen from start to finish. Yeah, enjoyable is probably the right word. I didn't know much about these guys at all. Um, when you kind of hear your Oxford four-piece now, you're thinking, oh God, are they going to be a bit wry and a bit too smart and a bit too clever? They are smart and clever, but in an enjoyable way because mm-hmm. they have that kind of English eccentricity about them and they do write these kind of interesting kind of vignettes um, kind of you know fully formed stories with interesting characters Um, I kind of like what they're doing Um, it wouldn't have been one of my albums of the year but I would definitely like to hear more from them yeah I saw them live in the Olympia Uh, shout out to Fanula Jones for bringing me along and I I wasn't blown away, you know. Like I mean, like it was kind of like I was very taken aback by the crowd reaction. The crowd were animalistic for them, and that's animalistic. I'm <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going even home. Mean to I'm do going it. home. <laughs> Please, can we cut Craig's mic? The Chili Peppers thing was was one thing, but this is bad. Uh, speaking of puns, by the way, Darth Vader makes a pun in Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Darth Vader, a pun. Can you tell us the pun or is that like, like he's Freddy Krueger? Yeah, sure. He uh, he forced cho- dark side comedy. He for- <laughs> he, he force chokes a guy. And tells him not to choke on his aspirations. Oh, that is like right. fucking Batman Forever bad. It's not good, is no, it? No, it's not good. Not a great movie either. Anyway, so Glass Animals, yes. Um, they were very enjoyable for their, you know, uh, uh, their energy, their frenetic kind of nature. 
And this album, I have to say, you know, I kind of begrudgingly went to it. Uh, Cullen was big in the world for quite a while. I do like the first half of it. I think it's very, very strong. I think they're a bit repetitive. I think they kind of, you know, I liken them to like a more party version of Foles on the podcast a while ago. And I kind of stand by that. But when they when they hit their sweet spot, as they do on Youth, the track that you heard there, it's undeniably infectious and very easy to fall in love with. And I think, you know, in terms of, while it also wouldn't be in my, in my top 20 of the year personally, uh, a good outlier. And I think it's a good representation of the diversity of this list. And at least, if nothing else, I am curious to see what their next move is. Yeah, the concept of the record is kind of gloriously bonkers. As Craig said, you know, vignettes and, and kind of little characteristics and stuff like that. They actually secretly taped conversations that they had throughout their previous tour and then took some of those stories and fleshed them out. They created websites to go with the characters from the songs. There was a, there was a whole to-do. I kind of stumbled across the album because I had to talk to these guys at Electric Picnic and they'd released the album just a week before. And yeah, I was instantly caught in it, to be honest. they take these ideas but kind of distill them into something that's kind of a little bit weird and a little bit wild but ultimately is is, is very fun and, and quite streamlined I guess uh, yeah I love this album I must say and uh, I'm quite pleased that I found a spot on the list Well a band that Glass Animals have been compared to certainly on their last record and they'd be doing well to follow in their footsteps because they might you know chart one place higher Well Beasts 16 Get My Bang from Boy King. A bit of a departure for, for Wild Beasts. Um, they've been going in a kind of electronic direction maybe for the last record or so, but this is a bit more playful, um, less intense than some of their other stuff. Kind of, you know, split opinions. What did you guys think about I love the album. It is extremely playful, like you say, and frankly, if you're not in on the joke, it probably sounds almost offensive. Yeah. Uh, but it is the ultimate sort of not in a wink album. Um, it's kind of brash. It's it's swaggering, but but it's immense fun. There's um there's some fantastic cuts on this record. I mean, Big Cat or Alpha Female. You know, there's fantastic tracks. And frankly, as well, it doesn't always need to be as in your face as some of those, you know, singles. We got a lot before this record. Yeah. And they were very much songs that kind of grabbed you and, and you know, stamped their authority, so to speak. Uh, it didn't need to be so singular uh, through, through the record. And I think they played with that quite nicely. Yeah, I mean, Alpha Female, you mentioned there, is an absolute belter. It's fantastic. And they were a band that I kind of resisted for a while when they first showed up. I thought they were too cool for school. And ultimately, when I saw them live at Forbidden Fruit some years ago in a tent, I was blown away. I think they played uh, the fun powder plot. And I was like, what is this? This is great. And from then on, I kind of realized, yeah, there's a lot more about them than I thought. And they are very, very funny. Um, but this album also does have moments of, you know, incredible self-exploration. I recall George Morahan in his review for Headstuff noted that Dreamliner, the closing yes. track, which is absolutely gorgeous, he said that you can you can almost feel the keys being pressed down. You can feel the weight of those keys. And, like, it's just, it's lovingly produced. There are bands that I think deserve a bit more than they kind of get. I mean, like, this is an album that seemed to kind of come and go. 
in a very busy year, admittedly. But I think that the thing about Wallabies is, you know, they're, they're a safe pair of hands in what they do, but what they do is very good. And I kind of feel like this one was a little bit undersung. I, I'm a huge fan of this record. I'm a huge fan of pretty much everything on it. And yeah, I'm once again delighted it's on this list. Well, um, um, Hayden Torp was saying that he feels like they've become the band they always objected to being. I think that's him maybe being a little harsh and obviously a little playful as well. But they've always had that kind of undercurrent of... I don't want to say sexuality, Dave, but I'm going to say it. Sexuality. Oh, God. <laughs> and Dave, clearly, if you've listened to their past records, I mean, intelligent guys, thoughtful guys, but I've clearly had a lot of fun on the road, like to talk about it. This is them going maybe more kind of muscle than mind. Um, but then there are moments where they can just go, oh, actually, we can do this very evocative gorgeous piece and mean it and it really connects um, so they can switch it up I mean you don't I, I really appreciate the fact they're trying to expand what they do and kind of play within the you know barometers of what they've done before the perimeters as I should say um, but yeah no it's an interesting one um, it's a great listen and that's kind of what you want from them up next is our first Irish album on the list 15 I landed an island in 2001 But at the same time that Drake dropped 2001 13 years later the album's done With Zangano presents non-national with the attitude volume 1 I'm disrespectful, I spit on beats I got my voice back, I'm D-O-C, I'm G-O-D-K-N-O-W-F But my players look at me like I'm dead OG I stick to myself, no BBC Used to play my rhythms on PS2 Before I got played on BBC Where would I be without JME? Without knowing me, help me see That I couldn't be anything done about me I'm pure about half big folk Lyrics like that freed my soul Thought I had to be American Thought I had to be English Everything else but Irish Before it's a black boy from gaming school Surrounded by white like my Irish I just wanted to be Harlem I just wanted to be London I just wanted to be Trenchtown now it's time to be shining Now it's time to be lyric Get used to my surroundings Where would lyric be without Yama? Yeah, that's Lights On Taken from Let the Dead Bury the Dead The album from Rusangano Family Obviously God knows and my name is John Had worked together uh, previously Merley now added it's a three piece And they are certainly taking the scene by storm This, their first album in that collective and yeah, I was certainly impressed. How do the rest of you feel? I mean, if you've got a song called Kierkegaard on my board straight away, <laughs> I love the stuff they're drawing in there. Bits of Afro beat, gorgeous strings, amazing soul samples. The production is immense. Yeah, John's played a blog. Oh, really, this. really has. You can just really sink into it. And the two guys, I mean, are just so comfortable and so loose and so cool in what they're doing. They really sw- switch up the kind of subject matters. They can tackle kind of issues if you want without it coming across as cringy but also they can talk about you know just their upbringing and all kinds of stuff and pull it off really really well um they create they do that thing which we've talked about a lot on the podcast where they kind of create their own universe and i think that's what irish hip-hop needs it needs that sense of identity it's not borrowing so liberally in terms of attitude and outlook from across the atlantic I think it goes beyond Irish hip-hop to just Irish music. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, this album may not be number one, but if I'm talking to an Irish music fan to say the genuine must-listen album of the year, the real vital listen, I think it might be these guys because nobody is telling the stories that they're telling and nobody's telling them the way they tell them. It's not like anything else out there. I mean, a song like Heathrow, you know, Mm. give me a break. Like, that's, it's singular on the scene right now and and they're the sorts of stories that need to be told. Um, Even, like you say, talking about their upbringing and things like that, you know, it has a a sense of authenticity and a sense of realness, I suppose, that um, that is hugely refreshing and yeah, when it's done with, with style as they always seem to do and 
tons of energy live, as again, they always seem to do. Um, yeah, it's a heck of a package. Taking the baton from you there, Colin, the word I would use is conviction. And I think, you know, not just in terms of the issues and the elements around them. And I've said before, I think, on the podcast that I first heard God Knows His Voice when I was transcribing an interview that Stuart Clark did with him for Hot Press back in the day uh, for, like, their Christmas roundtable or something. And I was just immediately taken by this guy. I was like, this guy really sounds genuine and really sounds interesting. And sounds like Stuart he- Clark is a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like he knows what's going on. Uh, but as for, yeah, no, and even, like, something like, you know, like a... A line that could be throwaway where he's like, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a lawyer, in the eyes of my family, I'm still a failure. Uh, Even though, you know, they've had success, I think is really telling. And I think it's very kind of, you know, cool to put that out there and just, you know, use it in the way it's it's kind of weaponized with the beat kind of growing under it. And that's just one of many little highlights on a a record that's packed with them. I mean, again, if you want to throw a criticism out, you could say it's a bit long. I mean, like, like, which, again, is my own kind of personal preferences. I do think it kind of could have used some trimming here and there. But as a first missive from this group, you know, the the now three piece with Merle, uh, it's, it's excellent. And I do feel the same way. I do feel like there's a genuine kind of sense of community with this band. One that's building across the country and anyone who talks about them does so in glowing terms and very much deserved live they are terrific uh, i saw them at potty and soul where they played to a very small crowd because the weather was torrential and they it didn't stop them they just came out and went for it in the manner that they always do which is something to behold so much so that mark Kozlek of sun cool moon who followed them afterwards to a significantly lesser crowd gave them a shout out and he's notoriously hard to please so if mm. he likes it let the dead bury the dead is a record that you should all check out if you haven't already they're an excellent excellent advertisement for music in this country next up dave i had a dream that you were mine 14 Sick as a dog to hear that, Craig. Which is uh, the track that you just Grown, heard there. Hamilton and Rostam together at last. <laughs> and and how, guys? What do we think of this? We all liked it. It's on our list. Yeah, it, 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 it's cinematic. It's exciting. It's it's ambitious throughout. It seems. Um, obviously, a stellar opening track, which we talked about last week, uh, uh, one thousand times, and it kind of sets the scene as well. Though that you know the kind of genre hopping aside, it's got an air of almost like a concept album of city living or something like that, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. As though it could be kind of going through time and place. Um, like we said about so many records this year, kind of building its own world. A concept album of city living makes me think of that ridiculous Kickstarter thing that uh, Zoja Mamet of Girls fame was trying to do for her folk band. She oh. wanted to uh, get money off people so they could shoot a video in, quote, opulent living spaces in New York City. All right. They didn't get the money. I was going the other way. I was thinking more hard fi nailed to that about 10 years ago. Poor uh, hard fi for for Forever the butt of a joke. Uh, but, you know. I don't know why, but I feel like the concept album of City Living is something that would be done by Amanda Brunker. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Can we talk about an album that we liked? Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, we love this album. Uh, I mean, where do you even start? Hamilton's voice is ludicrous. I feel like we, I feel like we, we somehow work this in every single week. We're, we're, we're fanboys at this stage. Yeah. Uh, I saw Rostam tweeted out this week something that he like at the age of twenty he felt like he'd kind of you know like 
that was his peak. peaked. Yeah, pretty much. You know, we, well, we I wonder know, how that feels. We all know that you peaked at nineteen, <laughs> Craig. And uh, I, if that's what he was saying, I may be picking him up wrong. I don't really agree. I think he's in a rich vein of form, and not just here. Like he's worked on a lot of co-productions this year. Uh, even like a song like Water by Ra Ra Riot is excellent. Uh, like it seems like everything he touches turns to gold at the moment. They're a great pairing. The album has an incredible vibe, and I like the kind of journey it goes on. There's a track called The Bride's Dad, which is really, really fucking melancholic, really downbeat. It's about a father going, like a disheveled, obviously out of the picture father going to his daughter's wedding and desperately trying not to make a show of himself, as everybody knows that he will. He inevitably does. He's carted out of there, and Hamilton's voice just rises and screams the part where he says, I swear I caught you smiling from the corner of my eye. Yeah. And it's just fucking like like his ability to bring you into those little kind of short stories and do so in such a way that you're just like you're wrapped. You could hear a pin drop. And at every point, it's supported by this really beautiful work by Rostam. So maybe the question is, do we want more of this in terms of, I mean, we've talked about we like Hamilton doing these songs, fits him like a glove. Um, occasionally, we've talked about Rostam maybe stamping too much of his own mark on it, but it, it all works out as... <laughs> I won't go into it. As the reptile <laughs> movement yeah. once said, my boys. But do we? Did they? Do you think they've nailed it to the extent that this was a lovely project? We don't need them to become a band that kind of just you know they're in a comfort zone and, for sure. Yeah. And I think we would get more of the same. Yeah. So it wouldn't bother me. To be fair, I mean, more of the same. This does sort of you know take enough changes in direction that you feel you know you're not going to get just a do over, so to speak. Now. That's not necessarily going to be a good thing. When we reviewed this album, Craig and I uh, both shouted, do wop," which is never a good sign <laughs> on, a, on a modern record. But, you know, there's also a lot of good things that we could get again. So by no means would I, would I complain if they decided to make a more long-standing arrangement. He's very much doing Hamilton Lighthouse's world music extravaganza between this and his first solo record, Black Arrows, which Rostam worked on. But and I'd rather this than just another Walkman record, you know. Sure. And yeah. I mean, like, yeah, granted, it's keeping his kind of voice alive in a fairly comfortable way. Like, but at the same time, it's enjoyable to listen to. Yeah, guests on our very first podcast ever, and suitably, they're on the last podcast of the year too. It's overhead the albatross. Thirteen. Yeah, from Learning to Growl, that is Big Riverman, a band who, in fact, played in Dublin not so long ago, and uh, Dave, you were there. I was. They headlined Vicar Street, and it was a triumph. 
I have to say. Uh, it was uh, This is the thing. This is a band that Craig saw in the Workman's Club for Hot Press back in like late 2010 as part of an all-dayer. Yeah. And I recall you kind of assessing the bands and telling me that there wasn't really much cop except for one band. Yes. Um, I can't remember the name of that band <laughs> right now. But Overhead, the Albatross were there as well. Um, they've we, gone from strength to strength. We've seen them everywhere. Like We've seen them there. We've seen them in Twisted Pepper, which was an amazing show. Yeah. We've seen them at festivals. Uh, Vinny Casey gave us a wink one day when we were when they, when they, in the middle of their set as we were walking over. And we were having a bad day. We were and, smitten. And um, we were smitten. We were smitten from the moment that Vinny Casey... Uh, was pulling our pints in the Workman's, and we were we, we we were talking about a Radiohead album, and we were kind of slagging it off, and we didn't know who this guy was, and he was like, "Gonna have to stop." He's there, gents. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I mean, this record. It's it's fair to say we've been waiting a long time for this record. Felt like maybe it wouldn't ever happen. I mean, as we talked about, they're so amazing live. We thought if they could just kind of bottle that, and they really have done. I mean, they've taken so long over it. They've poured over it. It's so accomplished for a first record and it nails that kind of narrative they always go for in a live show. I mean, remember they played one gig and just the electricity went. They cut short. I thought it was a kind of great moment. People seemed to be digging it, but they were so crestfallen because they were going somewhere with the gig. It felt like they had this story they didn't get to finish telling and they've been able to finish that story with this record, I feel. There's a focus and a purpose to yeah. this record that, and to be perfectly honest, if you told me that a six-piece band are going to pour over it for so long, are going to get string sections involved, in the back of your mind you're thinking, oh, this is going to be so overdone. Yeah. But it isn't, and it never is on this record. And it's another one of those, just like um, Rusangano family, that you know is doing things that few others in this country are but it's something that also stands up on the international stage I mean it's difficult to think of any sort of instrumental bands who are doing things uh, a whole lot differently or indeed a whole lot better than these guys are doing yeah Learning to Grail is an interesting title for a record that you know for a band even that continued to evolve and do it in kind of quick time despite the build up to that record despite us wanting it for about four years and more Uh, it absolutely lives up to the hype and not just you know any kind of bias because we're friends and fans of the band I mean like you know it would have been so horrible if they released a record that just didn't live up to their potential they seem to con- constantly be stretching that potential I mean even like they released that Hans Zimmer cover of Time with the uh, the Charlie Chaplin speech from The Great Dictator on it which was yeah. spellbinding at uh, Vicar Street uh, I love this record I-, I love the way it moves I love Indie Rose the way that song builds and builds and builds to an incredible climax I think Big River Man is one of the most instant and immediate songs of the last 12 months and it, it hooks you instantly as you say Cullen Post Rock is one of those genres where like it's hard to be original it's hard to be innovative it's hard to not just kind of box yourself in i mean exposing in the sky a band that i adore brought out an album called the wilderness this year and it's a terrific record and they played an excellent gig and i still love them to bits but it didn't crack my top 20 this was my this was five for me like i i love this album i love this band and i'm so so happy for everybody involved they've nailed it at every turn and congratulations to them for uh, the most uh, prolific spot of all number 13 on the <laughs> encore top 20 albums of the year well deserved Above that, an album that is difficult, memorable, and deserving of a spot on the chart. 12. i <laughs> 
That's I Need You, taken from Skeleton Tree, the new record from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. It was accompanied by a movie and, of course, accompanied by the probably most harrowing backstory and surrounding story that could possibly uh, go with an album. It made it difficult to talk about, difficult to listen to, um, but it is, again, perhaps, if not the most enjoyable, then certainly one of the most vital records of the year. Yeah, and, uh, you know... I haven't returned to this so much in terms of a full sit-down listen-through because it's so tough, but I have constantly been dipping in and out because there are just so many gorgeous moments on this. It's sparse, but it's just so effective. Um, And there are kind of, you know, lighter moments. There are moments of relief. It needs that. I think Nick Nick Cave realised it needed that. So he gets that kind of balance really right overall, I feel. And Warren Ellis's, you know, work on this is just incredible. He's really kind of taken control of the Bad Seeds and brought them in a totally new direction. Um, You know, they've moved away from that kind of classicism they had maybe when Mick Harvey was ruling the roost to a certain degree and kind of reinvigorated the band. It's probably about, you know eight or nine years ago now that he really started making his presence felt but he just does so ever more and his relationship with Nick is so strong that they just have this you know they, they just work so well together um, lyrically of course incredibly heavy but it's yeah it's, it's there's a gentleness to music that gets you through What Would I Do Without Warren notes Nick Cave and Once More with Feeling the accompanying documentary and Warren Ellis just comes across like a guardian angel throughout that as well as an incredible conductor and composer and coordinator of this project of course so much of this was written in advance of the death of Nick Cave's son we don't quite know you know how exactly these lyrics translate and a lot of them don't but of course we'll forever be married to that tragic event the documentary that I refer to there is required viewing I think for everybody Uh, fan or not of Nick Cave it's fascinating it's invasive in the best kind of way in that it's like genuinely insightful quite tough to watch Uh, this is a tough record to go back to and i think like some records in particular on this list it works best in one sitting Uh, sure i think it's a incredibly calculated again in the best kind of way work and it represents the artist at a very strange crossroads in his life and does so with the kind of elegance, beauty, grace, and melancholy that you might expect and might want from Nick Cave. Um, it's a fabulous work, even if it is a difficult one. It's like that old riddle of, you know, digging a hole, and, and it gets bigger the more you take away. That is, as in, like, the more you understand this record and hook into it and, and sort of really process it, which isn't always the most straightforward thing to do, given that it's not as polished as, as most of his previous work has been. But the more you do that the more difficult and the more stark and emotional it becomes. So, um, yeah, it, it's one that requires a little bit of work, perhaps, but uh, ultimately is definitely going to reward. You and your sense. old riddles, by the way, Oregon G. Person. I know, it's, it's such a, such a <laughs> cliche Always with the me. old riddles. <laughs> um, an altogether more upbeat record is next. Eleven.
that was Lost Under Heaven, or Lo, as we're no longer calling them. And that was Lament from Spiritual Songs for Lovers to Sing, which I'm still not sold on as a title. I am sold on this record, though. Dave, you are too. Yeah, like it's it's upbeat, but it does have its, oh, yeah. its down moments, for sure. sure. Like It kind of straddles that line, and I think ultimately comes out you know, on the other side, searching for light. I love this record. I love this band. I love Ellery James Roberts' voice, and I, I love this union of him and Ebony Horn. I think she brings out the best in him. I love their arrangements. Uh, you know, even at, like Lament is a track he had worked on before. It was called Carew's Lament at one point. Quite similar. Not a lot of differences between the album, the version that came out. I think she fleshed out a bit more, especially with her vocals as well. And I, what I really quite like about Ellery James Roberts and his vocals is the ability to put yourself into them, um, because you kind of have to, because in many cases they're so coated in sand and gravel and they're so indecipherable in some ways that you need to try and parse your own way around it but I love that he's always kind of looking forward and this is a record that very much looks at the world around them and keep in mind this was written you know before 2016 really kicked into fucking grim overdrive and it very much is a beacon of hope if you need it to be and it can also be a monument of you know grief and acceptance if that's what you need as well I think even closing on a track like The Great Longing an Mm. acoustic number that could almost be a Rod Stewart song if he was uh, feeling a bit more ambitious uh, I just like that, you know, if there was a map of this record, it would be kind of all over the place, but at the same time, there would be a through line, and I'm a huge fan, and I love this record, I'm delighted it's here. I guess we uh, yeah, we differ on the that through line of Ellery James Roberts' vocals, I am not as sold, to be fair. It does have its moments, and I, I think it's one of those albums that perhaps you need to be in a certain mood, or find that common ground which isn't easily done necessarily if there was kind of you know a little more dynamic then maybe there'd be more opportunities to enter at different places I think you have to have that intensity that kind of dynamism that he sings with um to enjoy this record but certainly yeah you know if you're in that place um it, it it's certainly enjoyable and also if it's married as it is on a track like Beneath the Concrete to, you know, a sense of defiance that really just ties this project together and does kind of bring that uplifting uh, sense to, you know, what is still slightly dark um, stylistically, then, yeah, it really works. Yeah, I mean, you can't deny the kind of passion and commitment that's gone into this. Um, and it has, it does seem like it's a bit of a marmite thing with people. I mean, clearly me and Dave are sold, but I have seen some reviews that question the production, which I don't really understand. I mean, Hacks and Clogs seems to do a phenomenal job for me. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's been interesting because I didn't really hold out much hope for Ellery to actually translate that style into something new that would actually have a bit of substance and that would stand up next to the Wu Life stuff. It just, it doesn't happen that often. I'm not questioning his abilities. It's just something you don't see or hear too often. And he's really pulled it off for me. Um, I'm excited about this band. Um, and to me, yeah, fantastic record. It's an immersive listen. It's a challenging listen. It's a, it's a demanding listen. Some of the best records this year were exactly that. Case in point, our next one on the list. Ten. Up here. I'm in heaven I've got scars that can't be seen I've got drama can't be stolen Everybody knows me now That's David Bowie, the late, day, gr- the late great David Bowie, and Black Star, a record that, again, is difficult to return to for obvious reasons, but I would say that it was a challenging listen even before the news broke of his death. 
And again, we've talked about this album a lot on this podcast, and we've always kind of said what an incredible way to bay out. It's a strange record, though. It is. And, I mean, for a guy who isn't necessarily all that well-known for tackling issues of, of mortality and, and so on, this was maybe an interesting sort of final reinvention, so to speak, that, you know, his last character would, in fact, just be himself. Uh, it's got that incredible arc to it where... You know, it changes voices and and it never repeats itself, but it is telling a story from start to finish. And you know, it, it's complex and it's ambitious, but it's it's got that coherence. And yeah, it will forever be linked to uh, to his death just two days later. But um, on its own, as it is, as an album and as frankly a parting gift, uh, it's going to take some beating. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's doing it a disservice to have. Of course, it is linked to his death. Um, but you know it's just such a towering record as it stands alone I've been able to return to this and I found it actually a very enjoyable listen and it's because it was just so tough for the first couple of months I really didn't go near it by a few tracks but now I can really sink into it and you know when we we look at kind of records that have dealt with death in a really interesting way this year obviously you've Nick Cave a very kind of human coming to terms with the loss of his son to a certain degree obviously you know we're kind of putting that on it ourselves that narrative um but, you know, a, a beautiful record. Then you've Leonard Cohn kind of bravely standing up and saying, OK, I'm doing this on my own terms. Um, another very human record. With Black Star, it's almost like he's above death. Like, <laughs> there's something really magical about this record. It's very jazzy. He assembled a totally new band. There's a vitality to it. And, like, you can dip in. I mean, if you talk about, like, you, you know, how you keep doing What was that bloody riddle again? <laughs> it gets bigger the more you take away there you go um, but there's so much stuff in this there's kind of you know the symbols within it um, Bowie clearly w- wanted to play around with people there's some amazing callbacks I mean something like I Can't Give Everything Away which is just absolutely breathtaking and kind of actually cheers you up even though it's quite sad but has that beautiful harmonica callback to New Career in a New Town from Low which just seems like such a fitting okay he's heading off now this is a nice nod to one of his other towering records and yeah I think this could easily sit next to some of his absolutely finest works I don't think it's a case of really nice effort on his deathbed this is like this is outstanding achievement yeah even a track like Lazarus there works on its own terms of course again one can't help but oh yeah yeah you know join the narrative that the whole world goes with because that's just how we're processing this but you know even like when black star the first track came out like all those like the kind of weird operatic jazz that was going on and it was just so ambitious it was just like he's really gone somewhere with this it's not just you know like here's my last album and obviously i'm dying and like you know this will do and it's very <laughs> that, much that's what i'd be like it's <laughs> <laughs> the b-side phone it in until the end but yeah i mean like it's it really shouldn't be understated though that he didn't even need to make this record. Like, he yeah. like, he, like, very much didn't need to be like, I have to make sure this is finished, I have to make sure this is out. And it felt very much like, you know, the last breath. You know, it felt like, okay, now I can rest. And, I'll, and I can rest knowing I've left this impossible legacy, which would have been intact anyway. But to give a whole new set of questions at the end of it is just really, really impressive. It should also 
just very quickly be pointed out to anyone who's been tearing their hair out for the past week that Bowie didn't make an appearance on the songs of the year. Um, yeah. The coherence and, and the collection of this album is why. It's it's so difficult to kind of pick one song out and say, yeah, removing that. Very much so. Um, it's definitely the one vibe and there's amazing moments, but you end up just wanting to listen to the whole thing. And a very short record too. Like there's a lot going on, but it's not this kind of long, dra- drawn out saga. It's great. It's terrific. It's a great David Bowie record. I mean, of course it's on the fucking list. <laughs> the collective you right there yeah you had a little it's David Bowie oh yeah David Bowie rest in peace David a band who made the list last week and once again are here this week it's no worries nine you love me like you know I could be living in the moment's notice you're telling me to stay into the morning you know a nigga homeless Everything inside the showroom, your old school trophies. You used to work the small forward. Now you're working corporate, dipping in the sports whip. I hope I never have to cut you off. My best one. The track is best one, the album, yes, Lord. It is Anderson Pack and Knowledge. Uh, it's fucking together. David Bowie, man. It's Bowie. Oh come on guys, I showed a little passion, alright? That's what this episode needed. Let's get back on track here, fellas. Uh, Anderson Pack and Knowledge coming together under the banner of No Worries. We spoke last week that everything that Anderson Pack touches turns to gold, it seems. And this was no different. Yeah. And also, as I said last week, I mean, Knowledge deserves a huge amount of credit because this is phenomenally produced. Um, you know, it has that donuts thing. It's, again, you can pick a great moments. It just flows together so well. Even the skits are good, which is rare for a hip-hop record. <laughs> and you've just got Anderson Pack on the form of his life, and he's only getting started. And in this record, he's really more the rapper and singer than, you know, the, the creative juggernaut uh, that he is in, in his solo work and sometimes even uh, working with other artists. This is knowledge making a sort of a, a mixtape, beat tape sort of a thing. That's and an interesting point just because he's been so great as a featured artist on other people's stuff. So maybe that's the same vibe for him on this. He's not sitting down to write these songs. He's flowing over the top of these amazing samples. Yeah, and it's, and it's a freeing thing for him. And the samples are superb. It, it draws from God from hip-hop, from a little bit of everything. And, uh, yeah, it does it all with uh, incredible style. Yeah, the whole thing sounds, like, on the ear, like, just almost like something you just pick up at a car boot sale or something, like, in, <laughs> in the 70s. Like, I mean, it just sounds incredibly of its time and not concerned with adhering to any kind of, you know, I guess, parameters or perimeters, as Craig kind of said earlier on. And, I mean, if you read any of the interviews around the release of this of this album, Knowledge, in particular, comes across as the most aloof human being of all time. Uh, I recall, I think Al Horner, the editor of Fact magazine, said that he interviewed him a few years ago, and he spent the entire interview uh, (laughs) unboxing his Dreamcast that he just bought off eBay. Uh, They didn't interview... Sound like a weird euphemism. (laughs) (laughs) Don't unbox my Dreamcast, man. Uh, I got it off eBay. But it's like, they did an interview with The Fader, I think, and again, they they just come across as very, like, matter of fact... I think the album comes across a matter of fact. Not that there wasn't work put into it, of course, and I'm sure everything is laser-focused when they're in the studio, but there's just a sense of, like, this being a hodgepodge, really, and yet it totally works. Like, it totally kind of works on its own terms, uh, its own strange, unwieldy, but enjoyable terms. Next up, it's fucking Leonard Cohen, guys. H. Uh. 
I've seen you change the water into wine. I've seen you change it back to water too. I sit at your table every night. I try, but I just don't get high with you. I wish there was a treaty we could sign. I do not care who takes this bloody hill. I'm angry and I'm tired all the time. I wish there was a treaty. I wish there was a treaty between your love and mine. It's fucking Leonard Cohen. Yeah, with You Want It Darker. Mm-hmm. Another man who released another impeccable body of work and then said, fuck this, I'm off. Yeah, and how. Um, a beautiful record, expertly produced by his son, Adam Cohn, um, because it seemed to be from his his last interview, Leonard Cohn, that he couldn't really get out of the house, so it became very much of a, a family job. And it worked out really well because it turns out Adam Cohn is a very tasteful producer. And this is like, you know, some of his kind of best produced stuff in a while, I would think. There's some interesting use of just kind of samples even to a certain degree. It just gives a nice little update to Leonard Cohn's kind of sound and his style. But his style is kind of, as always, impeccable, even when he's faced with the Grim Reaper. Um, You know, it's, it's those big teams he's always dealt with, but now he's dealing with them on a very, very personal level and just kind of staring it down in such a kind of astonishing way, really. And the songs are great. Yeah. Leonard Cohen always seems to perform with this air of knowledge or Mm. something as though, you know, he has a slightly better grasp on this than all of us. And that shines through once again on this record. It it sounds dismissive to say that it's, you know, it bears all the hallmarks of a Leonard Cohen album. It sounds as if you're saying, oh, it's just another Leonard Cohen record. But frankly, that's not a bad thing at all. Um, If anything, it's even more distilled where at times, I mean, he's barely singing. He's kind of whispering. (laughs) But that only serves to sort of reinforce I guess the familiarity that so many of us have had with an artist who's, who's been around for decades and, and also I guess brings that level of comfort and, and, and yeah confidence that, that Cohen so often imparts. One of the tiles on the No Encore Bingo sheet which we really must update actually is uh, if we mentioned that this is a particularly good headphones album and I wouldn't have thought that Leonard Cohen would necessarily qualify but he absolutely does for the reasons that Cullen was saying there. In particular when you kind of have a song like Treaty and then it's reprise at the end mm. in your ears it very much feels like he's talking only to you. And that isn't just because it's Leonard Cohen and just because he's passed away. Like There's just this innate power in his vocals, in his lyrics, in the way that he operates, the way he moves and kind of wanders around. It's something to behold, really. And I recall Dave Higgins when we kind of talked about this record after the fact, saying that Leonard Cohen had said that, you know, there's nothing better than putting your house in order. This is very much a putting your house in order album. And once again, a situation where it's like this album doesn't necessarily need to exist. And it does in its own kind of right. And it shouldn't just be remembered as, you know, the the epitaph, I guess. I think it stands up in its own right. I think it has the mischief of Leonard Cohen. I think it has the melancholy of Leonard Cohen. I think it has the world weariness and the world wisdom of the man. A great, great man. A great, great record. Yeah, and it doesn't really have that morbid thing because this really felt like the end of a trilogy which were his his final three records. He got that second chance when he had to go back to touring, decided to start writing songs again. And it was just nice that he kind of got to write this final act, this closing chapter, and he, he, he wrote it beautifully. And there's a level of comfort 
uh, in this record, not just in the way it's done, but in the way that he seems to be approaching it. That um, yeah, it doesn't make it as challenging a listen as some people might probably assume or might expect mm. from what is obviously now a, 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 an artist by a, a, an album by an artist who's passed away. It's thoroughly enjoyable. Up next, the climate change banger of the year. Seven. I want to see this world. I want to see it boil. I want to see this world. I want to see it Anna Nee there with Four Degrees, a song that grabs you by the scruff of the neck from the off on an album that does for protest music what, I think, you know, arguably what Cohen, Cave and Bowie did with their records. And they make it make, makes a huge statement and one that you need to tune into. Absolutely. And it's the sort of statement that really isn't very easily done. Um, environmentalism or, you know, uh, military drone strikes aren't very easily put to music, despite what Muse might tell you. Um <laughs> This is one of those records, again, are you going to enjoy it? Not necessarily, but it's necessary. Um, you're not going to follow Pitchfork's advice to put it on at a summer barbecue. What was that about? I don't know. It's one of the stranger <laughs> calls that you've ever heard. Pitchforkisms of the year. <laughs> but, I mean, we, we've talked before, and, and will again before the episode is out, about kind of taking big, intimidating ideas and kind of getting the execution of them right, marrying them with something that's going to be the right style and the right approach. And that it's defines a this album. It's a struggle that Key West face every single day. <laughs> but like, it, it, it's something that's done so well here. It, it's a beautiful album, as so many have been before. I mean, you know, going back to Anthony and the Johnsons records, um, again, you know, that voice and, and the sort of delicate touches um, around it really, you know, do grab you from the very start, like you say. Um doesn't slip into the kind of tired cliches. It doesn't become patronising or, mm. or, or, or you know, pontificating. It's it's an excellent record. And it helps that you have that voice. I feel like I'm always talking about voices, but, I mean, you really have to when you're talking about hers because it's just so gripping. She could literally sing anything, you'd be on board with it. I mean, it's absolutely, utterly beautiful. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm giving out about PJ Harvey for no apparent reason, but, you know, we reviewed that record and she's trying to tackle some of, the same subject matter to an extent uh, but it just came across like a lot of hand wringing didn't really translate this is a sonic assault of a record but in the sense that you kind of get swept up in it um, and it's it's actually an enjoyable enough ride I mean it, you don't feel like you're being assaulted by it um, which is a very difficult thing to, pu- to pull off um, Anthony and Johnson's work was so different of course but again tackling some of those big themes and this is another artist for those things um, we kind of need those and yeah Hopelessness great record yeah I mean that voice it, it often comes back to it for songs like Hope There's Someone and Fistful of Love what she's doing now is equally as interesting and just as heartfelt and just as kind of you know concerning and relatable in a very different way hopelessness is the kind of record that you have to absolutely commit to and it's not the one that you're going to throw on at random you're probably not likely to make a playlist from tracks that are on it and that's just fine i mean we've spoken before uh, even before we started this podcast guys we were very much like i think you know not 
in a really fucking annoying, pretentious dickhead way, but we were kind of like, you know, our album's losing their power. I mean, like, you know, like, like, do people care about the album anymore? Does it work as a narrative? Does it work as a as an artistic statement? And a lot of the records on this 20 do just that, and this absolutely deserves to tower above them, or at least with them. He's back. Six. Hey, well, that's exactly what a nigga came for. Huh. You, throwing shots from afar, I'm gonna meet you at your front door. Uh, so hard to be doing what you really meant for, beauty. Huh. But don't I make it look easy? Don't I make it look good? Hey, now you, drink up all my liquor. Come on, what I'm supposed to do now? Huh. And you, talking all that shit. Now, come on, you gon' have to back it up. Second entry, Anderson Pack, solo record this time, Malibu, and that was Come Down, one of the jams of the year. And great kind of display of all his kind of myriad talents, and which he crams into this record. It's one of the records of the year for us, and with good reason, come. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that same idea of, of taking some, you know, possibly challenging ideas, but finding a way to do them that is incredibly fresh. In this case, it's incredibly funky. It's a lot of fun. But um, but but it still lets the stories kind of sit there and 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 shine as they should. Um, it's it's no easy feat, but it's almost effortless, and that's why I feel perhaps you know there's so much jazz and soul coming out of songs that aren't even necessarily built around those structures. But just because it's so easygoing, it's so listenable, and he has so much confidence in everything he does right now that from the second that this album opens, you're just like, okay, this guy is taking control. Come Down is so much fun. It really, really is. Yeah. As Craig says, one of the jams of the year. Uh, man of the Year is a term that has been following Anderson Pack around for the past month or so, and it's absolutely justified. Even like He even has the ability to pop up on fairly generic tracks like that Mac Miller one that we yeah. had before and like just really elevate it. There's just we've talked before about you know the likes of Run the Jewels and Kendrick Lamar and people like that who have a certain cadence and a certain conviction with yeah. their cadence and Anderson Pack joins that group very very ably and very very uh, impressively. Pretty much everything on this album works. It's just it's it's great. Uh, I, I don't know why it took me so long. Like, I didn't get into it at the start of the year. Like I mean, it took me until about the summer before I quite got into it. And I think it actually maybe even helped it because it feels like a summer record in a lot of respects. He just has that kind of you know flight ability like this record absolutely soars and it's a treat it's a gem and it's one of the best of the year yeah it's infectious i'm wondering if people are kind of like still listening to this because i it came on come down came on when i was walking over to the studio i'm like thinking we're going to play this later you just kind of turn off the podcast and be listening to anderson <laughs> pack right now wouldn't you i mean you know we've talked before about the bird being such an incredible opener then you have like this drum roll intro to the next track heart on Sand chance and it's just kind of like for my next trick it's a real kind of showcase record <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. where he's like i can do everything and doesn't seem really too braggadocious um he nails those kind of things where he is the showman i mean you know supporting someone like bruno mars he's kind of stealing his act and doing it better in that sense that he's a kind of old school performer there's bits of james brown there um he's an all-rounder there's better like songwriting in in, in general I mean, yeah. like not just necessarily than bruno mars but like you know this is someone who is writing songs he is writing his own kind of you know, he's plowing his own furrow, he's walking his own path, and it's been fascinating to watch so far. Uh, one thing before we move into our top five, though, kind of a similar question to the Hamilton and Rostam thing. I like Kendrick, are we kind of worried that he might be a bit oversaturated? Like, do we want a quiet year from him next year? 
I, it depends what sort of quality he's pulling out, to be perfectly honest. Um, like you say, when he's done features, when he's worked, obviously, with knowledge, on with as no worries, when he's doing his solo stuff, basically, he's just been hitting it out of the park. So, you know, he's clearly not stuck for ideas. He's clearly got a bit of a work ethic. And uh, if it continues at the level that it has been going then uh, gosh I, I certainly won't be saying no yeah and like stylistically he doesn't seem boxed in in the slightest so there's so many different ways he could go uh, no I'll just, just keep it coming I think okay watch this space I'll be calling that audio back when he inevitably <laughs> does too many features by June for now our top five let's get going five get it going than the soft electro strange melancholic intrusive immersive insular stylings of james blake it's funny all of those words which you clearly said tongue-in-cheek because they could be bad and they could be insinuated as being negatives um all work so well on this record when you say that it's, you know, what is it, 80 minutes 80 long minutes or long. something like that? It's an episode of No Encore, like. And it's incredibly understated, and you're thinking, gosh, this isn't going to work. But not only does it work, the two are kind of inextricably linked. It's the fact that it has that space and time to sort of insinuate. It doesn't need to make big statements or flashy maneuvers. He can use his voice in a very delicate way, which I think he does better than he has at any point in his career. And that basically, you know, it can still communicate in a way that it, there's no need to overdo it. Um, by the time Put That Away and Talk To Me comes on, it, it almost gives you jolt because you realise the kind of depth of the spell under which you've fallen. And I think that's the the key to how this record operates. Yeah, I mean, it seemed daunting when you saw that track listing. You thought, where were we in for a lot of noodling and meandering and kind of some heartfelt falsetto? Um, you get a, a lot of heartfelt falsetto, but he just can't really go big in that negative sense because it's so sparse. It's so everything in its right place. Something like Radio Silence, which is just this 808 thing stretched out so much. Then you've got those kind of clipped vocals that he just deploys expertly. And it's been a real year also of kind of cross-pollination of artists. I mean, that that's been a feature. It's worked really well to a large extent. It definitely works here. I mean, you've got Frank Ocean popping up, which got us all excited about Frank. Um, I don't think he'll feature in this list. I'd be surprised. We're terribly disappointed. Yeah, be surprised. Uh, big Justin Vernon, obviously. And it seems like those three have really been, again, I'm not to give anything away. Um, a <laughs> fucking asshole. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Brilliant. Excellent work, Craig. Fantastic. Thanks. This has been No Encore. <laughs> There won't be an encore. 
What I'm saying is that James Blake produced a very good record all by himself, and I don't know anything you're talking about with those other artists. I um, recall uh, going to a lecture picnic before with Hugh for Hot Press and walking by. He was on like the main stage at like four in the afternoon on the first day, almost nobody there, and it was just this cacophony of noise, and it didn't work in the slightest. And I remember being like, "There's your boy." You know, I was like, this yeah. is shit. I don't like this guy at all. I find him quite difficult to get into, but this is the record, the color and anything that did it for me. And again, you know, I hate to sound as repetitive. Not as repetitive last week, though, listener, when I used the word stunning repeatedly. Yeah, we said a brilliant a lot as well. That's my one and only use of that word for this week. I've <laughs> learned my lesson. Uh, but yeah, this is an album that you absolutely have to commit to. It's an album that you absolutely have to sit down and go with. And again, as you say, it's a long listen. It's like 75 minutes there, there, thereabouts. But I agree with you. I think he totally has found himself, if he hadn't already. At least that's how it sounded to me. And if you do latch on to it and you do tune into those very specific frequencies, you will absolutely be rewarded. Uh, kind of similar to Radiohead's A Moon-Shaped Pool, which, sorry, Alan, didn't make the list. Ooh, you suck! At least you've got it on vinyl yeah. now, though, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, moving on. Four. I be Puerto Rican day parade floating. That Benz Marina Del Rey coasting. She be Puerto Rican day parade waving. Last month I helped her with the car payment. Young and we alive. We never gonna die. I just copped the jet to fly of a personal debt. Put one up in the sky. The sun is in my eyes. Woke up and felt the vibe. No matter how hard they try. We never gonna die. I just wanted you to know. A record that has divided, that has changed, that has shifted throughout <laughs> the year. The Life of Pablo and Kanye West. The president-elect's favourite record. Yeah, yeah, he's hanging out with Trump now. Will we just talk, like, will we do a Craig on Kanye? <laughs> you got the t-shirt. <laughs> I've got the t-shirt, yeah. Thank you, Alan. Um, which I will be sleeping in tonight. Oh, wow. Yeah. Bathing in. <laughs> Sharing in. Not taking off next year. Can we talk year. about Kanye West, Life of Pablo, please? The Life of Pablo. Um, I feel like, considering this is supposed to be this ever-changing record, he should really record something with Trump and just slot it in there. And we have a nice surprise on Spotify. Um, this is, again, divided opinions. <laughs> he could be on Father Stretch My Hands. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's a mess. It's a glorious mess. I mean, when it's at its best, it's Kanye at his best, which is pretty much better than everyone else. Um, I don't know how much more we can talk about this record. <laughs> yeah. You know, it really is. We're running out of things to say. It's frenzied. It's chaotic. It works perfectly for those reasons. It is scattershot as all hell. And even like adding a track like Saint Pablo, which is a song that didn't work for me initially, but now absolutely does, uh, worked wonders. It's an incredible, free-flowing, crazy mess of a thing. And I wouldn't want it to be anything different. If you don't like Kanye West and you don't like this album, fair enough. But if you do, I think this is the album that you need. It's almost like a weird greatest hits in a way. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I am a Kanye fan and I'm not crazy on this album. Um, By no means though, does that make it a bad album. You've heard of kind of damning something with faint praise. This is almost like faint praising with faint damnation or something. <laughs> that Kanye, a disappointing Kanye West album doesn't preclude it from sure. being one of the year's best. Um. 
it it has its you know flashes of genius. It has also its bits of chaos and maybe little bits that would be on the cutting floor under normal circumstances. But it feels almost like watching a new sport or something like that. That once you get your head around the rules and once you understand the process that you're going to be dealing with here, it actually gets an awful lot easier to navigate. Yeah, I mean, I think that it does it. Go listen to the record. We talked about Kanye enough for one year, I think. I think so. Up next. Three. My pride, but I'ma fuck me up a bitch. Know that I kept it sexy and know I kept it fun. There's something that I'm missing, maybe my head for one. What's worst? Looking jealous or crazy, jealous or crazy. Or like being walked all over lately, walked all over lately. I'd rather be crazy. Hold up, they don't love you like I love you. Slow down, they don't love you like I love you. Back up, they don't love you like I love you. Step down, they don't love you like I love you. Can't you see there's no other man above you? What a wicked way to treat the girl. Well, well, well. It's Beyonce Knowles. What's she been up to, lads? Well, <laughs> for one, she has released a truly incredible pop record. And I think it's important to kind of make that point that this is a pop record because while it's got you know, so much in terms of like, you know, Kendrick's involved and Jack White's involved and, and James Blake and there's like bits of rock and hip hop and R&B and country and there's messages of feminism and race and so much. But it's still a pop record. It's mm. still got hooks. It's still got, you know, the hum along, sing along, dance along sort of things. It, it, it's enjoyable. It's got, you know, that, that duality is really difficult and she nails it. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing is obviously she's such a massive star that all of those kind of features on it wouldn't have gotten too much kind of headlines anyway, but you had the big headline being this narrative of her and Jay-Z, whether this was going to end up being a divorce record, um, still together for the kids, thank God. <laughs> but yeah, I I still don't know where I, you know, sit with that whole thing. I mean, have we there were some people saying it was almost a cynical move. Jay-Z couldn't couldn't possibly have done you got that. All, you got all TMZ on us, are you? Craig? I don't know. I don't know. It's a strange one. How much do you read into this narrative of it was her saying, Hey Jay Z, you've been messing around and blah 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 or was it a kind of calculated they knew what they were doing? I really don't care. Record? Like yeah. I genuinely don't give a shit. I think celebrity gossip is I understand it's 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 its own industry. Uh, as regards this record, I think this record rises above that. To be honest with you, I mean, while yeah, still playing on it quite a well, lot, of course, I mean, it's yeah. a selling point for yeah. sure. And I mean, ultimately, you know, no one really knows what goes on behind closed doors, and I don't really care. Like, I mean, they're just two people at the end of the day who happen to be mega stars. Uh, the visual aspect of this record, which of course mm. even plays into that as well, uh, and of course more importantly plays into the roles of women, the roles of black women, the roles of society and how that has changed over the years and not necessarily for a progressive better, at least you know we're not where we should be, I think is just as impressive. I think it, it totally works with <laughs> with this album. I, I think you know it's visually stunning. It's a stunning album. There, there's there's my, my word again. Uh, I think no, I, I think Lemonade is, is terrific. I, I, I think it's an excellent statement. I think it works on a surface level. I think it absolutely works incredibly on a subtext level there's a lot here to explore you could get lost in the multiple meanings and even like again read up on genius the best website around and you know it's <laughs> it doesn't sponsor the show no, they sh- really should at this point it feels like an essay this album feels like an essay to me and uh, i think it's also the statement that she needed at this point in her career whether cynical or not i've always said before that i found beyonce to be a more interesting icon than a musician and, and an artist i think with this record she levels the playing field and does so quite spectacularly yeah 
I think there's probably more of a directness and an authenticity to this record than anything she's done before. And when you have been... So that fuck I- you, Craig. When you've been that iconic <laughs> figure that? for so Hold long... On. cynicism, man. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. When you've been that iconic figure for so long, you do kind of need that at some point to, to remind people that, you know, they're not just looking at some sort of, you know, boardroom creation or some sort of, like, you know, market research created thing, yeah. but rather an actual person, an artist... And I think that's what this album does. Yeah, and it's such a mishmash again of, you know, various styles and things that she just brings together so incredibly well that it is very much her own thing. I mean, it switches up so much. I'm really glad Freedom hasn't actually been used in like dreadful trailers and I, I haven't heard it anywhere. I was that was your that was prediction be, when we reviewed yeah. this. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm just as surprised. Uh, instead, it was, you know, an excellent performance at the... BTs, I think. BTs, oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah, uh, shocking it hasn't popped up in numerous ads, but hey, there's still time. And there's also time for our runner up. Two. Toiling with your blood. I remember something. And be on and kissing on a night, second to last. Finding both your hands a second sun came past the glass And oh, I know it felt bad I had you in my grasp Oh, then how are we gonna cry? Cause it once might not mean something It's noted song and dance man Justin Vernon of Bonnie Iver and 22 a million yeah. Yeah, I kind of gave it away. Sorry, lads. <laughs> I wonder what number one is going to be. <laughs> um, a record that maybe, sh- you know, uh, last week we talked songs. There was very little Big Bonnie Iver or Big Justin. Um, and again, it's another kind of example of this just being such a cohesive work that it felt very difficult to parse, very difficult to s- dissect and separate. Um and some people have said, not really working for them. Maybe, again, a bit cynical in what he's trying to do, experimenting. Um, but no, for me, this just ticks every box. I've, I've really enjoyed, you know, you, when we were getting tasters of it, it seemed like he was going somewhere really, really fresh and just, you know, brave almost. And he followed through totally. Um, I think it's an outstanding record. Yeah, I don't think there's an ounce of cynicism on this record. I Frankly, I think that if it was going to be a cynical exercise... It would have been a little more straightforward. And uh, frankly, it was the fact that it wasn't straightforward that I took a little bit of issue with when when I reviewed this album at first. And it wasn't that I didn't like it at the time. I think I gave it 8 out of 10. I said that, you know, maybe one or two changes and it could have been a a 9. It could have have been an all-timer, basically. And with time, I've kind of come around to the album. I guess I've got used to the album. I think it's the equivalent of kind of going to the zoo when all you really want to do is like actually get down and like start playing with the monkeys and patting them and so on and so forth, and you realize you're behind a fence. There is that distance. What is happening? <laughs> What's going on? There is that distance, and that you are being kept away from really interacting with it. I felt that that was one of the keys to this album. That Justin Vernon seems to keep you at that distance. After a while, you realize that well, of course, if you were to get involved, everything would change, and this album would shift completely I think so you're saying Justin Vernon is the Harambe of music pretty pretty much I like that except still alive do you think that overall or was that your barrier do you you still feel that way about this record that that it is he's over there and we're over here oh yeah but I don't necessarily see that as being a bad thing now 
I, I think that that separation might be what's necessary for this record to exist as it is. As in, what I'm saying is, yeah. like, if he took out the kind of cutty-outy bits in Stratford Apartments, which is an amazing song, if he took those out, well, would any of the song have sounded as it is? Would he have written it as it is? Would those same emotions and sentiments have been there if he was going to be that intimate with the fans? I don't think so. To use your kind of analogy there, I think this is a puzzle that he wants the listener to solve. I think if you do solve the puzzle and kind of, again, tune into its very specific frequencies, you are ultimately rewarded. And I think that this is the best example of a record on this list that works coherently as one piece. Mm. And that is the puzzle if you will it is all one piece even like a track like there like 715 creeks which i chose deliberately because it's very strange and it's you know some people will hear that and be like this is awful some people have said that they found this album funny that they found it to be oh i didn't think it was unintentionally so and you know like that to me is cynicism i i, I don't think there's any cynicism in, in in regards to the construction of this record one of my best friends who's a huge bonnie Vera fan found this record very difficult to get into i wonder if he's gotten there yet he certainly hadn't the last time i spoke to him and i was quite surprised i thought this would have totally sang to his to his ears but it didn't uh i fell in love with this album um with a belly full of whiskey at two in the morning and my headphones on but i still enjoy it when i'm not in that situation listener oh wow <laughs> no, gold star i think it's a very please in- drink responsibly <laughs> please drink responsibly i think it's very intimate i think it's i'm uh, when it comes to music when it comes to writing about music when it comes to albums I'm totally in love with the idea of falling in love with the record and falling under, into the cracks of the record and finding my own subtext. It's one of the reasons why I, I like the Lost Under Heaven album so much. It's the reason why I think this is a fabulous record. You put yourself into it, and I don't think you could do that if he was putting up the barriers that you're suggesting he is doing. Oh, then again, yeah. I understand why you feel that way. Yeah, I, I, I maybe be more would call him in this in terms of I don't necessarily think it's a puzzle that you solve or you're supposed to. And I think maybe even he doesn't realise what he's doing uh, at certain points. And that's kind of the mystique and the magic of it. I mean, it is, yes, to a large extent, it feels like a kind of personal kind of radio transmission into your brain, but also it retains that kind of alien otherness of it that maybe someone like, you know, a Bowie would achieve on Black Star or on his most famous records, which really just elevates it for me. And I think he that's what makes him a special artist now and what he's doing because it's not just that kind of heartfelt singer-songwriter thing. There is something else that maybe even he isn't sure of going on. Yeah. Um, I think there's also a lot of trust in the creative process. I think that comes across so much on yeah, this album. Yeah, very much so. That, you know, even though it was difficult to create, there seems to be a confidence. There seems to be a belief in what he's doing. And like you say, even when it's kind of going down a path that he's not even sure of, uh, he still does so with absolute conviction and, yeah, a lot of, a lot of grace. Well, here's an example of the power that he retains and has arguably even strengthened. He's headlining Forbidden Fruit next year. Mm. Which means... Oh, you're back in the game. I might be back in the festival game. Oh, this is going to be big news for 2017, (laughs) folks. And Forbidden Fruit as well. One of the least likely places we would see you popping up. It's just around the corner from my gaff. Well, yes, but also, I mean, will the other acts be kind of matching up to that? Okay, folks, we'll make our June plans in a second, but we need to put these listeners out of their misery, right? They have no idea who's at number one here. They're going to be so shocked. When it's this. One.
guys prophesy Let you guys prophesy We gon' see the future first We'll let you guys prophesy We gon' see the future first Living so the last night Feels like a past life Speaking of the don't know what got in the people Devil be possessor homies Demons try to body jump Why you think I'm in this bitch When a fucking yarmulke Acid on me like the rain Weed crumbles in the glitter Rain Glitter Frank Ocean, folks, who'd have thought? Did you guys prophesy? That's what I want to know. <laughs> we, we did prophesy. Uh, we, should tell, we, we, we should tell the listeners, Blonde was unanimous. Oh, yeah. 100%. It's never, never going to be in, anything else. In the point-scoring system that this system would present, top marks. Yeah. Three men at this table <laughs> voted him. Three wise men. Number one. Yeah. Number one across the board, not even a question. And deservedly so. This is a record that I took a break from after I reviewed it because I kind of, again, immersed myself in it so, so much for my review for Drown and Sound. Uh, and I really needed to take time off. I was like, okay, I need to step back from it because Endless as well came out the visual album and I was kind of mainlining both of those for like two weeks. And eventually I was like, okay, I need to just not overdo this and I remember where I was I was kind of doing some writing and I threw my headphones on and as soon as Nike's kicked off I was just I I felt myself sink into it you see right there you were doing some writing and you threw the headphones on when you came back to the record it's the reason why I haven't needed a break from this record since it came out because we always say that albums you know work on so many levels but the kind of implication is that you need to get to one of the lower levels oh, yeah, yeah. to really enjoy it. Whereas this album is amazing if you want to listen to it in the dark and ponder like life's bigger questions. It's also amazing if you want to fling it on while you're doing the cooking or you're stuck in the office or, as I did two weeks ago, putting together flat pack furniture. And that's because it works as a kind of a surface pop album where it's got melodies and hooks and a pleasing voice. It works as, like I say, a kind of a meditation on some of life's bigger questions. And this, in a way that maybe, you know, we didn't expect from Frank Ocean, has an implicit invitation to the listener to kind of put yourself into it and to relate to it in a way that few other records have. The fact that this was so much more ahead of everything else for me and still had Facebook story on it in which this French guy rambles on about an ex-girlfriend and social media. It speaks volumes. That French guy is Sebastian who's responsible for some great tracks of his own. Listen, I couldn't care less. That's a waste of time. I'd argue that uh, (laughs) Andre 3000's appearance is a bigger waste of time. No, I disagree. I mean, it doesn't quite work but it's it's much more enjoyable. Sure. Um, Even with those flaws... It's somehow imperfectly perfect, and it needs those flaws, because this is very much a record, if I'm reading it correctly. Again, I like to put my own stamp on these things. Of a guy finding his way, and doing so by looking back at the loss of his innocence, kind of weighing up who he is as a human being at the age he's at in his life. I think the closing track, Future or Free, is perfectly indicative of that. I find it very hard to get through that track without feeling quite wistful. Uh, I think it's quite heartbreaking in its way in which it kind of calls back to youth and the innocence and the kind of the ideas of maybe realizing your dreams and of course it not turning necessarily out that way there's just so many layers to this thing and at the same time it is just as arm's length on one regard arm around you in the other regard 
it's a fucking masterpiece. I adore this record. It, not to go all Roy and Atwood arriving in the OC here. Oh, please but, do. Well, <laughs> this album can be whatever you want it to be. It, it, it actually shifts it's my favorite moment of no encore ever. <laughs> um, yeah, it really does change depending on what you're looking for from it. And A quick question, right? Because we were enjoying Endless when it came out. But just such was the power of this record when it became clear this was the one we were meant to properly focus on. Would Endless have made this list if that's all we got, you reckon? Yes. Okay. So it's just Perhaps. been so dwarfed that. But it yeah. would be lower. I think mean the lower half. It yeah. is great, but it has been given short shrift, and it's very hard to not marry the two together. And also, also the fact on... we haven't had a proper audio release of it. Yeah. It is a kind yeah. of video. It's thing. also and it's uh, excellent, and the video is yeah. brilliant. I'm Sorry. unsure how much we could ever have processed endless unless it came with something that was perhaps more fully formed. Yeah. yeah. So we can actually sort of you know project what ended up as Blonde onto the this sort is the of thing. creative I mean, cuts of Endless. In my write-up for Down and Sound, like, I kind of reviewed both, really, because I felt it impossible to separate them in terms of at least uh, a write-up anyway. And I kind of closed by coming back to Endless, and I said, like, you know, at the very end of this visual album, he sits there, he admires the staircase, the spiral staircase that he's been building, and he kind of does this incredible little curtsy, as only Frank Ocean possibly could, because, you know, it's ridiculously cool-looking. And then he walks by. He walks by the camera. He walks by the staircase. He walks by as if as if none of us were ever there watching this creation. And I said, you know, like, even when he kind of is climbing up the stairs at one point, it's like he's going somewhere else. And I kind of closed it off in a very flowery way when I said, you know, maybe we can go there with him. Because I think uh, Blonde especially extends that hand. And it does so in such a way that I just totally fell for every aspect of it. And I think segmented, it works in some ways. In some ways, it doesn't. As an as a standalone listen, especially when you get to that ending, it's it's a knockout. It's an absolute knockout. I think he's I think he's a genius. Yeah, a deserving champ for the year. Frank Ocean tops our list. We're all going to dye our hair blonde in tribute. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I'm right ready. Now. I'm ready. Well, that brings us to the end of No Encore for the year. Uh, we'll be taking a very quick break to come back for season two in January. Uh, we're going to take Christmas off so I'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you so much to Craig and to Cullum for being my co-host this thank year thank you for having us on constantly when this started out my intention was to kind of kind of carry it by myself and maybe have them on occasionally and see how that would work out but it became apparent quite quickly at least it did to me and I hope it does to you if you're listening that we have a good dynamic and uh, these are my boys and I would not want to do the show without them I, they make it very enjoyable for me to do and thank you guys thank you so so much and listeners thank you so much for listening uh, I especially th- those who've been there since the start that means an awful lot to me if you are a fan of the show I would encourage and ask you to recommend it to others to rate and review us on iTunes to follow us on Spotify or, or whatever you know it, it, it's an annoying thing to ask but it actually does kind of bump us up and gets more ears on the podcast uh, we're still learning by doing so you know by all means uh, throw us some hate mail at uh, music at headstuff.org or find us on Twitter at No Encore Show. As I say, we will be back in the new year and we have a couple of announcements to make when we come back as well. So, some exciting things to come to kind of keep it all fresh and interesting. Yeah. In the yep. meantime, uh, I don't really do the whole Christmas thing, but I wish you, you and yours, a happy Christmas. I hope you get everything you want from a new year, which I hope will be a bit more kind to us than 2016 was in yeah. some regards. Yeah. And yeah, again, just thank you so, so much. And to play us out as our final exit music of the year is our champion, Frank Ocean, with White Ferrari. Have a great one.
Mine on the road Your dilated eyes Watch the clouds float White Ferrari Had a good time 2016, How was I supposed to know And you know anything I let you out At Central I didn't care To state the plain Kept my mouth closed We're both so Familiar White Ferrari Stick climbing Close by me You were fine You were fine Left when I forget to speak So I text the speech Less the speeds Text the speed, yes Basic takes its toll on me Eventually, eventually, yes I on me eventually, eventually, yes I care for you still And I will Forever That was my part of the deal Honest, we got so familiar Spending each day of the year White Ferrari Good times In this life In this life Too many years Sometimes to that It's on a HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details.
What audio this is going to make, eh? It's a Christmas miracle on No Encore. Yeah! Christmas! Still paying hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Let's change that. At Zenni.com, our factory direct model means no middlemen or outrageous markups. Just the same quality frames and lens options as the other guys for one-tenth the price. Zenni offers prescription glasses starting at $6.95, as well as affordable sunglasses, blue blockers, and more. The best part? Try any frame, anywhere, with our 3D virtual try-on. Visit Zenni.com today and change the way you buy glasses forever. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.